All right, all right, here we go once again. Uh, the numbers to call anytime is uh, 416-870-6400 and star 640 on cell. We'll be taking a lot of emails today, though, because they back up and we, uh, well, we don't neglect them, but it's nice to get through them, right? Lior, L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com. And Lior's number to uh, anytime outside of show hours as well, 416-216-5900. Uh, I got a good show today, some stuff that uh, kind of, I guess it'll, it'll somewhat link to what we did last week. But first, we always start with the week that was, my friend. How was it? Hey, John, thank you very much, and welcome, everyone, uh, to the show. Thanks for listening. And as always, we always like to start with the week that was, talk about a couple of cases, some things that I saw this week that are a bit interesting, things that maybe uh, there's a lesson to be learned there, and things that you, the listener, may find yourself in uh, right now. So the first situation has to do with the idea of notice of termination as opposed to severance. John, as you know, we've talked about the fact that when an employee is let go, one of the things that the employer can do is to provide actual notice of termination instead of paying severance. And as long as the amount of notice is adequate, then that's fine. The employer has met its obligations. Now, there are a number of situations where the notice, in fact, even though it's given, may not be effective. For example, Hmm. it's not effective if it's uh, not in writing. It's not effective if it doesn't have a clear end date. So if I say in the, in the next six months I'm going to let you go, John, that's not effective. It has to have a, a clear end date. But there's another a situation where it's not effective. So let me tell you about this case that I saw this week. Okay. Uh, this lady had worked for the company for about three years and then went on maternity leave. And a couple months into her maternity leave, the company decided that's going to be shutting down operations, legitimate uh, you know, financial uh, reasons. And what did it do? It provided this employee notice. It told the employee, hey, employee, in six months, you're no longer going to have a job because we're going to be shutting down. Now, six months would otherwise be appropriate for her because she's only been there for three years, fairly young lady. But uh, at the end of six months, the company says, well, wait a second, employee. We gave you notice six months ago while you were on mat leave that we're terminating your employment, so we don't owe you any severance, except you cannot give notice to someone that's not at work, okay? notice Even if you contact them. Absolutely. Really? Notice means that you're at work earning income. You, can't, you don't get a loophole by saying, thank God she's not at work. <laughs> we're giving her notice. She's, we're not paying her. Right, right, right. But we still don't, now don't have to pay severance. So what does that mean? That means that in this situation, this lady was entitled to severance. It's as if she never received the notice because she was not at work. She was at home on mat leave caring for her baby. Even if it's a written notice? Absolutely. All above board, wow. Notice is only effective if the employee is still going to work, still earning their usual income, uh, and if you're on disability leave and you're not earning income, you cannot get notice or the notice is ineffective. If you're on mat leave, the same thing. So what does that that mean for this lady? It meant that the employer, at the end of what the employer considered the notice period, was still required to pay her six months salary, six months severance. And and you know, thankfully she made the call. She called me. I told her that, and we able were able to resolve it quite quickly. The employer didn't know. The employer wasn't really trying to get away with anything. It was a smaller company, and they thought that they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Except no, they weren't, and that wasn't legal. Okay, so very important. If you're on mad leave, if you're on a disability leave, on any leave of absence, you cannot get effective working notice of the termination of your employment. So any notice you get is ineffective. You're owed severance. What would have happened if that company, say, because they were shutting down, like didn't have enough uh, to cover it? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a technical term, something that goes SOL. You've probably heard that term. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, I guess you hear it growing up. Right. And the reality <laughs> is that, it, it, you know, you cannot get blood from a stone. And uh, if the company does not have the funds to pay, then you really are... Uh, you're stiffed. Yeah, you, you're yeah. in a tough situation. There has to be someone there that has the ability to pay. Luckily, in this case, that was not an issue. Okay. 
Uh, but I have certainly seen situations where the company is out of business, no, no income. They owe a lot more uh, money than what they have, and that is a big problem. Now, in the second case, very different situation, but also uh, quite interesting. Uh, another lady, she had worked for this employer for about seven or eight years. Now, for some reason, the employer decided to, to employ her on the basis of uh, the rotating contracts. So every year, she'd sign a contract for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, every year for seven years, new contract around the same time, renewed for the same year. And no one really gave it much thought. Another contract, another contract, up until a few months ago. When the employer says, well, now we're not going to give you another contract. We're not going to renew. Uh, so off you go. The contract ends as per the last contract that you've signed. I see what's coming. So the employer says, okay, well, you know, we, we had a contract up until the, whatever it is, June of 2014. So we don't have to pay you anything. Well, no. Uh, and and you, you probably know that I'm, I'm about to say that. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. And why doesn't it work that way? Well, what our courts have said is that if you keep signing contracts every year, same time, it just keeps rolling along and you sign these contracts, at the end of the day, what that means, you're no longer an employee under a fixed-term contract. You become an employee under an indefinite contract because you keep expecting the contract is going to get renewed. There's no real negotiation. It just kind of keeps getting renewed and renewed. So the assumption that you would have as an employee, it's just going to continue on indefinitely. So the reality is that for her, she was not no longer an employee with a fixed-term contract. She was now terminated, and that means that that employer would have had to pay her severance based on her seven years of employment. Uh, so the employer thought it did not have to pay severance. It could simply not renew the contract. But because the contract keep, kept renewing and renewing, she was now an indefinite employee. So what does that mean for employees and employer and employers? It means that if you keep having new contracts, usually if you do more than three of them, the employee is going to be an indefinite uh, duration contract unless you really are negotiating the contract every year. You're negotiating new pay, new salary, new terms, and it's really a brand new contract. If it's just a simple document that you say, hey, it's that time of year again, John, just sign the piece of paper, that's not valid. It doesn't create an enforceable contract. So for her, that meant she gets a lot of severance. Certainly after seven years in a senior position, she was entitled to 12 months compensation. So a a very big difference between zero and 12 months compensation. Now those three times where you say is kind of the the line where they draw, could that be uh, three times at six months or a month or a year or it doesn't matter? It it doesn't matter. Three separate contracts. They each could be for two years. But anything beyond three separate contracts mostly would almost always would be considered okay now you no longer really are an employee under a fixed term contract we'll simply say that regardless of what you sign you're now an employee under in an indefinite duration contract so if the employer wants to end the relationship they have to pay severance and if it was negotiate every year and renewed for you know benefits or, or salary then at the end of the contract they could have said that's it we yes. don't want to renew don't yeah. have to owe you anything yeah this year we decided okay. we're not going to renew and that was fine and they would have to pay zero so so it's a subtle difference but a very important one. We'll take a short break. Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to a bunch of your emails today and get into a very cool topic we haven't discussed yet on the show, so stick around. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640. Lior at employmenthour.com is that is the contact information for email to get hold of Lior and his uh, personal number, 416-216-5900. Keep that one close by. Last week, we talked about uh, harassment in the workplace, what constitutes it and uh, when you're allowed to get out and when you should leave. Uh, we're going to kind of flip it around this week in situations when it's better to quit than actually continue working, right? Yeah, John. And, you know, we, we've talked many times about this concept of constructive dismissal. Right. Constructive dismissal usually happens when something happens in the workplace, a change, something that makes it very difficult for the employee to continue working. And when that happens, usually the employee is faced with a choice. And the choice is to accept the change, kind of grin and bear it, 
or to say, no, I'm not going to accept it and resign and still pursue their severance. It's as if the employer terminated the employment. So the choice is to accept or to resign. Mm -hmm. But there are, whenever someone calls me, they say, well, wh what do you think? Should I accept or should I resign? Well, so I thought it would be helpful to talk about cases where my advice usually is always going to be resign. That, where it is a lot better to just resign and remove yourself from the workplace than to continue working given what's transpired. Okay. So the first situation that I'll talk about is when there's a significant reduction in salary. And that's a big one, right? It's a big one. But it, it, obviously, that's the classic constructive dismissal situation. I was making uh, 50000 Now I'm going to make 30000 Well, that's a constructive dismissal. But why is it better to resign? And, and here's why. And I'm not talking about it from a moral ethical standpoint. I'm really only talking about it from a legal standpoint. And here's why I say that. Because if their salary is going to be reduced, now you're going to be making 30000 instead of 50000 If the employer decides the next day, the next week, the next month to let you go, they're going to have to pay you severance. Except Based on, your severance, wow. exactly, is now going to be calculated on the basis of $30,000. Even if of, it's 15 years at 50000 it doesn't matter. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so someone like that could have lost a lot of income. And some employers, I've seen this, and I, I, I think that's, that's completely inappropriate, but some employers imposed a reduction in pay simply because they knew they wanted to terminate and they were hoping to do that and pay severance on the basis of the lower amount. Sneaky. And, and sneaky and, and wrong. So yeah. if you're faced with a large reduction in salary, it may be better to simply resign and now get your full severance based on what your salary was rather than risk the chance that the employer is going to let you go the next day or the next month or the next year and have to pay you a lot less severance. So it's so very important. I would love to know the percentage of people that go through that, resign, not even realizing that it's what they call a constructive dismissal. They go, I'm out of a job. I'm yeah. done. I'm not get a job hunt. And they have nothing. Nothing. Exactly. That's quite frequent. I, I see that certainly. And uh, one of the reasons, obviously, as you know, we do the show is we want to educate people. We want to tell them, you know, there, there's something that you can do. And in this case, if, if there is a change in post, you can resign and still get your full severance as if your employment was terminated. So big one, John, your salary is reduced. Uh, you may want to consider uh, resigning rather than risk losing a lot of severance down the road, severance that you need in order to find a new, new job to carry you until you find another job. Okay. The other one, uh, another one, is if, there's a, if you're subject to a significant demotion, even if the pay otherwise is unchanged. So I'm going to reduce your responsibilities. I'm going to demote you to a much lower position, but I'm going to keep your salary as is. Well, why would it be better in some situations to resign? Well, here's why, and this is a, a practical consideration. Well, there's two reasons. Number one, if the employer the next day wants to let you go, again, mm -hmm. now you're at a lower position. One of, the, one of the factors that goes into calculating severance is the type of job that you have. So I used to be the manager. Now I'm not the manager. So when I get terminated, I'm going to get less severance. Even if I'm making the same yearly salary? Even if I'm getting yeah, Because a manager is entitled to more severance than someone that's a non-manager, for example. So that still may mean less severance. But there's another consideration, a practical one, is now you're going to have on your resume... Not manager, coordinator instead of manager. Is that now going to hurt you in the future when you look for right. other work, when you look for managerial positions? Well, wait a second. In your last job, you weren't a manager. Now you're looking for a manager position. So a demotion like that, if you continue in it for any period of time, may actually hurt your future career prospects. So that's why when I see a demotion, if it's a significant demotion, I often advise people, you know what? You probably are better off resigning and having to risk getting less severance down the road. And number two, making it very difficult for you to find another good job in the future. Very cool. So, so that, that's a big one. Someone may have to uh, consider resigning in, in that situation. 
The next one, John, and we've talked about this on the show a few times. We've had people call in on Last the show week. live. Yes, yep. with exactly this situation. And that is a situation where the employer comes to you, you're already employed, and says, I want you to sign a new contract of employment. Mm-hmm. And and I, here, here's a rule. And, I, and, you know, lawyers oftentimes don't want to make general uh, statements. I don't have a problem making this general statement, and that is this. If an employer is asking you to sign a contract of employment while you're already employed, it's only because it benefits the employee. Absolutely. Only. You will never, ever be asked to sign a contract of employment that provides better terms than what you previously had. It's just not going to happen. The employer is not going to say, hey, I decided today that I should give you better terms than what you had signed this, and it's better. It's just not going to happen. Usually what this contract would do is it would limit the amount of severance that you'd be paid in the future. That's what the employer realizes. Wait a second. If I want to let John go, I have to pay him 12 months severance. So let's have John sign a contract that says that if I do let him go in the future, instead of paying him 12 months severance, I'm only going to have to pay him six months severance. So that's what a contract like that does. And you sign the contract and the next day, if the employer lets you go, what happens then? You now get a lot less severance because you agreed to it. So in that situation, if you're going to lose your job, you may as well lose your job not having signed the contract than having signed it. So if you're uh, offered a contract that's bad, and obviously you need to get some legal advice to understand what the contract says, if you get a contract that's bad, that's limiting, you may be better off resigning and not having to sign it. Would there be a difference to saying, no, I don't want this, I'm resigning, or just saying, no, I'm not signing it and having them fire you? Either way is fine. And in some situations, you're simply better off being removed from the workplace, not having signed the contract. Be it a resignation, being a termination, the end result would be the same, that you, the employee, would be owed severance. Situations when it's better to quit than continue working. We'll take a short break and continue with a few more points in this regard and get to the severance calculator as well. Right here on the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640. Lior at employmenthour.com. That is Lior's contact info today. And 416-216-5900, his private number. We're talking about situations when it's better to quit uh, than continue working. We talked about uh, salary uh, reduction, significant demotion, having to sign a new contract whilst employed. Uh, The next one, what is it? Big one? Big one. And and certainly one that may be not as obvious as some of the ones we've talked about. But if you uh, regularly and repeatedly keep getting unfair negative feedback, negative performance reviews that are not justified, in some situation, that could be a constructive dismissal, and that may allow you to, to resign, or you may even consider wanting to do that. And, and here's why. Uh, if you keep getting negative feedback, bad negative feedback, you don't do anything, you just kind of keep plugging along, number one, you're deemed to have arguably cons- accepted it. But the real problem with that is the employer may be building its case to terminate you for mm-hmm. cause. And at some point, you get enough of these negative feedbacks that you're deemed to have accepted. The employer's going to say, okay, now I have five of these things against John. I can let him go for cause and not have to pay him anything. So you're better off not getting to that point and, and removing yourself from the workplace so the employer, number one, can't say you've accepted, and the employer can't say that they've accumulated enough things to, to, to let you go for cause. That said, obviously... The feedback would have to be uh, completely unfair. You, need, you would need to be able to establish that it's unfair, that right. it's inappropriate, that, uh, that it really didn't reflect what happened in reality. 
because if you get negative feedback, you're just not happy about it. It's true, but you know what? Well, they, sh- they should have given me a break this time. That doesn't allow you to, to, to resign. That would not be a constructive dismissal. It's only if the feedback is unfair. It's only if it doesn't accurately reflect what was done. But in some situations, and I've seen that happen more than once, if, if you're put in that position, you may be better off just resigning, getting your severance now, not have to deal with allegations of cause down the road, which are going to make it that much more difficult to get your severance. So how do you, uh, you know, preemptively build your own case and argue against the fact that this is negative criticism that that's not, shouldn't be upon you? So right? if you do decide to stay, despite what I, I just said, one of the things you can do is, is, you know, if the employer is building up its case, you build your own case. So you have whatever, make available for yourself, keep uh, records of any materials, documents, emails that uh, would help you respond to the allegations. So if the employer says you did X and Y, but you didn't, you in fact did something completely different, well, you want to be able to have something to show that. And you may have access to these documents, to these records, to these emails while you're working. You won't have them after you're let go. So you want to put that together right now. You want to have your own folder or binder with that information because if at some point the employer says, well, now, John, I have cause to let you go. Look at all these things I have against you. You want to say, well, wait a second. I have my own things. I have my own information that shows that everything there is wrong. And if you have that, you're going to make it uh, very, very difficult or impossible for the employer to allege cause, and you'll get your severance. Is it enough to send a rebuttal email? Say, I, 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 I don't believe in what you're saying, or I want to argue this, or I don't think that's correct. We need, to, uh, it, we, it, we need to address this. It's certainly better to have that, but I still want the employee to actually have documents and materials that, that allow them to rebut rather than say, no, oh, this is wrong. Uh, you, you're, certainly, if someone gives you negative feedback, you, and if you're silent about it, you accept it, you are going to be considered to having accepted it and mm-hmm. agreed with it. And that's a bad thing if it's not fair. So yes, you always want to go on the record as saying, no, I don't agree with this. This is not what happened. But you also are far better off to actually have concrete information, material evidence to rebut the specific allegations. This one so far in this topic seems the one where you definitely need to contact an employment lawyer because the massive gray area whether you got enough to go out and Very, very, very subtle. And, and you know what? I probably should have prefaced this discussion by saying with respect to all of these things, I never, ever want to have anyone resign because they think it's a constructive dismissal without getting legal advice. Right. It's not every change it's a constructive dismissal. Right. You have to speak with the lawyer. So, you know, just going back to what we talked about, salary reduction. Yeah, salary reduction is a constructive dismissal. But what if you signed a contract when you started working that gives the employer the ability to reduce your salary? Well, then it's no longer... You may longer not even a, read that. Right. You may mm-hmm. not even realize it's there. So that's no longer a constructive dismissal. A lawyer is going to be able to review that and be able to tell you, yes, you're in a position to resign or no, you're not. So that applies to all these things we're going to talk about uh, in this discussion. 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We are talking about situations when it's better to quit than continue working. So the next one is what you alluded to before, John. We've talked, touched on it last week, and that is if you're subject to repeated harassment yeah. in the workplace that you can prove. Uh, because if you're subject to harassment, obviously, that's not something you have to accept. That's not have, something you have to take. Uh, you, you, can, you can resign as a result of that. That is a constructive dismissal. Now, why is it better to, to resign? Well, the obvious reason, if you're being harassed, it's going to make your life uh, you know, potentially excruciating. You're better off removing yourself from that situation. But there's another issue. If you're being constantly harassed, but you keep taking it, you keep taking it, if, you know, at some point down the road, your employment is terminated, it's going to be too late to do anything about the harassment because how bad could it have been if you continued working? Uh, maybe you, you accepted this conduct. You didn't think anything of it. It's, it's going to be very difficult to address that. So if you want to address the harassment, and the law does provide for compensation if, you, if you're uh, uh, the victim of harassment, 
then you need to deal with it when the time comes. And usually that means removing yourself from the workplace once you've tried to resolve the matter internally, right. as we talked about last week, without, uh, without success. So if you're, you're subject to harassment, if you can prove that, and if you've tried to resolve it and still nothing can be done, you're better off resigning than just continuing to suffer. Okay, give us one more before we take a break. Okay, so finally, the, the last one, again, subtle one, but very important one, is if there's an amount owing for you, and the classic example is a bonus. So I'm expecting a bonus. I always get my bonus. I didn't get paid that bonus. Well, is that a constructive dismissal? Absolutely, because now you didn't get a, a component of your compensation. But why is it better to resign? And here's why. Because if you don't get it and you don't do anything, you accept it, the next year you don't get it, well, now it's probably too late to do something because you're considered mm-hmm. to have accepted it. Last year, I didn't pay you a bonus last year, even though I should have. You accepted it by continuing to work. Now it's implied that I don't have to pay you that bonus. So if you just accept that failure to pay a bonus, you may be considered to never be able to, to get it again, and that's a problem. So you're better off, especially if we're talking about a significant amount of money, to resign, get your severance, and also get your bonus because the law would require the company to pay you the bonus. Again, never do that without speaking with a lawyer first. All of these points you mentioned, they, I guess you just have to personally weigh them and say, you know, do I want to try or attempt resigning, maybe uh, have enough money for 12 months or 16 months or even two years if you've been a long-service employee, or do I just want to suck it up and keep working? I guess people got to balance that up before they, do. they make a move. And, and right? with, with these things that we've talked about, the the, the the consequences in some cases of kind of sucking it up could be significant. Uh, so that's why in some situations, there's just, not just about, well, can I afford to quit? In some situations, you may be able to, uh, you maybe not afford not to quit. Okay. So very important to understand that. Take a short break. 416-216-5900. That is Lior's personal number and L-I-O-R, Lior at employmenthour.com. Stick around. More of the show coming up. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640. The number is 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com to ask your questions. We'll get to a couple of emails here in a few minutes, but first we're going to get into something that we've talked about this numerous times. We've had almost countless phone calls about this. People talk about calling themselves, quote-unquote, independent contractors uh, when they are really employees. Let's discuss that, what an individual should do to really be and deemed an independent contractor. And, and John, I'm always amazed that people actually have a difficult time sometimes understanding this concept that what you call yourself may actually not matter. And I guess, you know, right. instinct is, well, if I call myself an independent contractor, the company I work for agrees, well, I'm an independent contractor. Well, no, it, it, it's not that simple. If you really perform the functions of an employee, work full-time like an employee, work for a long time like an employee out of the company's offices, you're an employee. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter what the co- uh, company calls you. And that's extremely important because if you're really an employee, you have the rights of an employee, including that to get severance. Whereas as an independent contractor, arguably you're not entitled to that severance. So, so we've talked about that issue, but let's talk a bit about the idea, well, I'm going to accept a position uh, or I, I'm going to be looking for work as an independent contractor. How do I do that legally? How okay. do I avoid a situation where I call myself an independent contractor, but I'm really an employee uh, in the eyes of the law? Because there'd be major tax implications, there right? could be. I right. mean, if, you, if you're calling yourself an independent contractor, John, and you're saying, okay, well, good, so I'm, I can deduct my home office, I can deduct my gas, I can deduct my, my mortgage payments. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're not. And CRA says, no, no, you're not an independent contractor. Oops. I don't care what you call yourself. Well, there's going to be some, uh, some explaining to do, <laughs> Big they say. Yeah? Right. So that's a problem. So, so how do we do this legally? Well, first of all, you want to actually have a written agreement with the company you're going to be working for that sets out that you're an independent contractor, that sets out the relationship, the fact that you're, you're free to take on other responsibilities uh, or other jobs, etc. 
you don't want it to, to be a written agreement because if ever challenged, so you don't want it to be an oral agreement, you mm -hmm. want it to be written because if you're ever challenged, you want to be able to take that agreement out of the drawer and say, look, this sets up the relationship and the type of a relationship that we have is really that of an independent contractor and company. So you want to, let's start with that. The Who next, writes it? Uh, you or the employer? Usually it's the company okay. that makes it, but it doesn't have to be. And usually that's a negotiable point. Right. In other words, the company may draft it, and you may have some suggestions and changes. But usually it's the company, the one hiring the individual that's going to draft it. But again, you probably want to have that reviewed uh, if you're the uh, the company or the independent contractor. By, by a lawyer like by yourself. By an employment lawyer, okay. absolutely. Yep. Now, the next point I'll make, if you want to actually be an independent uh, contractor... You want the agreement, the, the engagement, to be, to be for a fixed duration, for a specified period of time, and not, for, uh, not, not to be open-ended. An employee is uh, employed under an, an indefinite duration contract. An independent contractor usually is there for a fixed period of time. Mm -hmm. Now, that could be subject to renewal. So we can have an agreement for six months subject to renewal at the end or a year. But you want it to be for a fixed period of time, not open-ended. It's going to make it much more likely for you to be an independent contractor. Next point, very important one. In that agreement, you want to make sure that you, you stipulate that you have flexible working hours. So in, in other words, it's up to you to decide how and when you're going to do the job as long as you get it done. If you work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and you don't have a say on that, well, you're probably an employee because that's what employees do. An independent contractor has a lot more flexibility than an employee, and they can make their own hours and decide if they're going to get the job done this morning or in the afternoon or maybe on the weekend, and, and the employer doesn't have as much control over that. The company doesn't have as much control. So you want to have that flexibility as relates to working hours. Does that one point, could that one point break the contract? That one point can make wow. you an independent, now, an independent contractor or an employee. Now, all these points that I, I'm going to talk about, none of them, if you, if you only comply with one of them, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're an independent contractor or an employee, or if you comp comply with three out of the five, it still doesn't, doesn't lead to a result. We would look at all these factors. If you do all those things that I'm about to tell you, then you're certainly going to be an independent contractor, but sometimes only a few of them may be enough. So, th so we talked about flexible working hours. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I'll say is relates to hours. You don't want to be working full-time hours unless it's only for a short period of time. So if you, the agreement is I'm going to work for you for a year, John, but I'm going to be during that time I'm going to work 40 hours a week. Well, you're probably an employee, and the reason for that is an independent contractor has the ability to to work elsewhere. And if you work full-time job somewhere, then you can't work for anyone else because there's only so many hours in the day. Right. So generally speaking, if we see someone that's a full-time uh, person, they work full-time, they're going to be employees, unless it's for a short period of time. You know, It's okay to be uh, full-time as an independent contractor for a few weeks or even for a month or two. But if it's beyond that period of time, you're probably going to be considered an employee. Uh, so you don't want to be full-time. If you're full-time, you're going to, you should just call yourself an employee, enter into an employment relationship and call it what it is. Uh, the next one, to me, this is probably one of the biggest one, and that is as an independent contractor, you want to have flexibility as to where the work is done. Pinned down to an office. Right. Yeah. If you're coming in, you have to come in because that's what you have to do to the employer's office, the company's office, or work from their offices every day. You're probably an employee. On the other hand, if you can get the work done elsewhere, maybe you're on the road, maybe you're working at home, you have that flexibility. Again, an employee usually wouldn't then that's much more likely to make, to, be, uh, to make you an independent contractor. So where the work is done. 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. These, these all kind of sound like just, just off the top of my head like a, uh, like a real estate agent, right? You might work for Remax, but 
you're working all over the place, not, definitely not fixed hours, definitely not in an office right. for the most part. Right? And it's up to you how many hours you work and, and how hard you work in, in terms of making money. If you you want to take it easy, you're not going to have as much sales. Eat what you, you kill, right? Exactly. So that that usually when we think of independent contractors, that's a good example, being a real estate agent, because it's you, you're not bound by the same rules and obligations as an employee would. Okay, we'll get to one more before the break. So uh, the next one I'll talk about is uh, you want to be, if you're in the independent contractor, you want to be responsible for your own expenses. Okay. An independent contractor has a, has a risk of loss. If someone else is paying for all your expenses, you're not taking really any risk, right? Mm-hmm. Because someone else is paying. You can't lose money. On the other hand, if you have to pay for expenses, that means you have to manage those expenses in a good way in order to make money. So if the company is paying you $5,000, but you're going to have $6,000 in expenses, well, then you've lost money. So you have to manage that. But on the other hand, if the company is paying for those expenses, you haven't lost anything. And the dependent contractor takes risk, which means you have to pay for your own expenses. This goes back to you know claiming your part of your mortgage and your gas and your phone right. and all that stuff. But, right? but if you incur uh, expenses while you're doing the work for, for whatever it is, equipment, materials, you should be responsible for that, okay? okay. You may want to negotiate a higher amount uh, that you get paid by the company, but you don't want to be submitting receipts to the company right. for them to That's pay key. the expenses. Absolutely. We'll take a short break. 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of this topic, uh, plus a severance calculator, and we'll get to some of your emails right here on the Employment Hour. Talk Radio, AM 640. Contact number for Lior, 416-216-5900. And email always, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We're talking about things that we're discussing, what individuals should do to really be an independent contractor. We've gone through quite a uh, quite a laundry list, but a couple more here. Go ahead. Yeah, very quickly. Yep. If you're going to be an independent contractor, you want to be able to show that you're actually actively looking for other clients, okay? Uh, and you, if, if challenge, you want to you show... Ideally, that you're actually working for more than one company, but even if you're not, that you're actually trying to find work with other companies mm-hmm. uh, as clients. So that's always going to help you. Finally, the last point I'll make is that if you're going to be an independent contractor, you don't want to be doing the same job that employees of the companies ah, are performing. Because if, if there's four people doing one job, you're the fifth person doing that job, but they're employees, you're an independent contractor. Well, guess what? CRA is going to look right through that and going to say, well, no, you're probably an, uh, an employee as well. So you have to, there has to be a reason as to why you're an independent contractor. Something you're doing that's unique, that's different than what uh, employees are doing. Uh, so with that in mind, John, if you follow those, those tips that we've talked about, uh, you can actually be an independent contractor legally. But if you're in a situation, I'll repeat this, if you're in a situation where you're really uh, not an independent contractor, despite what you call yourself, if your relationship ends, you're going to be entitled to severance. You're going to be entitled to compensation. So if you're not sure, you're not sure if I'm an employee, maybe I am, maybe I'm an independent contractor, call me. I can ask some questions. I can tell you exactly whether you're an employee or contractor in the eyes of the law. And then, if needed, tell you what your entitlements are, whether it's severance or anything else. So what, what's really, is there a fine line between a independent contractor, based on all these points, they're doing their own thing, they're making their own money, they're setting their own rules and time. Is there a big difference between that and someone who's either self-employed or a sole proprietor of a business? Well, you know, so a self-employed person, a, self, a sole proprietor, these are all independent contractors to the extent that they're working with another company. But what the important po- uh, point is, just because you say you're self-employed doesn't mean that you're not an employee. So I may have my own company, 
I have uh, Lior Inc. Okay, right. and I'm I'm hired by uh, by a company to go in and do work every day nine to five. But they're really hiring Lior Inc., not Lior. It doesn't matter if I'm there. If I do the job of other employees, if I uh, work there full time, then me personally, Lior, I'm an employee of that company. Okay. You can't hide behind an incorporated company. It's not as simple as say, well, I've incorporated. I have my own company, so clearly I'm not an employee. That doesn't matter. 416-216-5900 is Lior's private number. If you have questions, we'll get to a bunch of emails. That address is Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll bounce over to Henry in Oshawa. It says, I've received a few warnings over the last three years and with respect to my work performance. How many warnings does my employer have to provide me before they can let me go for cause? You know, it's a good question, and it's a question that's uh, it's tough to answer. The reason for that is it does depend on the type of, of misconduct or issues that they've alleged. So if we were talking about trivial issues, you know, the work performance, you know, we were expecting you to to create uh, 100 widgets and you created 98, it's different than if we expected you to create 100 and you only created 20. So it depends how severe the conduct is. Usually, I would say, with respect to work performance, we don't even start looking or thinking about cause before there's at least three warnings. Okay. Uh, but depending on the severity of the conduct, we, you may need a lot more than that if you're the employer to be able to establish cause. Remember, John, cause is very difficult to establish. An employer can always terminate without cause and pay severance. But if the employer wants to terminate for cause, especially if it's for alleged performance reasons, the employer has to show that there was a, a number of incidents of uh, a bad performance, that they warned the employee, that they gave the employee every chance to improve, and that they offered the employee help in order to improve. Those mm-hmm. are very difficult things to establish, and most employers pull the trigger on a termination for cause way before they should. Let me just break away to that point you just made. You said they can they can uh, let you go any time with severance. Now, people come in shocked to your workplace saying, I, you know, they didn't like the color of my car. They let me go. Can they do that? They don't think they could be fired for they that reason, They absolutely right? can. They absolutely, absolutely can. And, and you know, the car example is one that I use sometimes to, to make the point. But most of the people that call me are terminated with, without cause, and they're not even necessarily calling me about severance. They're calling me because they're upset and they're, they're, they're angry and they're uh, uh, you know, confused as to why they were let go. They right. did nothing wrong or they even, in fact, they thought they did everything right and all of a sudden they're out of a job. And, and the reality is, as unfortunate and as unfair as that is, right. it's legal as long as the employer pays severance. The only time uh, a termination with severance is illegal is if the reason for a termination is a discriminatory reason. So you were let go because of your color or race or medical condition. That's illegal. Uh, but if the employer simply is being unreasonable, unfair, uh, you know, makes a bad judgment call as to who th- should be let go, they're still allowed to do that as long as they pay proper severance. 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. Fernand North York says, I was promised a promotion last year. This year, I didn't get it. It was given to someone else and I was let go. Is this discrimination? And, you know, very good question. The, the, it would only be discrimination, John, if Fern didn't get the promotion because of some discriminatory reason, maybe because they wanted to hire someone that's much younger or someone they felt that they need someone with a different ethnicity or from a different background. But if they simply decided, you know what, we decide that Bob is better than Fern, even though that may not be the case, it's not discriminatory. The employer is allowed to make that decision. So the only time that a failure to promote would be an issue is if the reason is a discriminatory reason and discrimination is a defined term. It's not what we consider to be colloquially as as discrimination. It has to be some prohibited ground, race, ethnicity, medical Mm -hmm. condition. So, again, without knowing for specific reasons as to why he didn't get the promotion, I can't say. 
but it's likely not discrimination. But Fern should still get severance because Fern was let go regardless yes. of the promotion, uh, right? Regardless of the promotion, mm-hmm. it's not discrimination. He's entitled to severance no matter what based on his age, length of employment, and position. So that's the key here. And again, I don't know what Fern was offered, but as I've said many times before, over 90% of people that I see in my practice, and I only do this and I do this for a living, uh, have not received proper severance. So, you know, just statistically, probably Fern did not receive proper severance. He should get advice. Fern, that number is 416-216-5900. We'll take uh, one more before a short break here. Manny, again in Toronto, says, I quit my job last year. My wife still works for the same company, but they are treating her very badly because they are upset with me. What can she do? Yeah, and, uh, you know, interesting. I've actually seen a few of these situations where one spouse remains working after the other spouse either quit or was let go, and and the spouse that's still working kind of gets the brunt of of the employer's uh, anger. Mm -hmm. So the reality is here that, as we talked about, if if, uh, she's being harassed, mistreated, as we've talked about, that could be a constructive dismissal. Right. So if she can establish what's been happening, how she's being mistreated, mistreated, if she can prove that through documents, emails, witnesses, anything like that, she can quit and require the employer to pay her severance. As a starting point, I would suggest that she speak with the HR person uh, and, and see if there's any, any uh, recourse or any help that can come from there. If that doesn't go anywhere, if that's not a possibility, maybe it's a small company, then she needs to consider resigning after she gets legal advice and only after she gets legal advice, so long as she can prove what's been happening. Should she be keeping records of this and, and you know, again, Absolutely. History? There's no other way to prove it. Yeah. Your word against someone else's is not good enough. You will never be able to meet the burden that you have, the burden of proof, if it's just your word against someone else's. You have to have something. You have to have a tiebreaker, mm-hmm. okay? And tiebreaker is a document, something concrete that we can see and touch. Nice. We'll take a short break. 416-216-5900. Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to a couple more emails, and we'll get to a very important portion of the show, and that would be the severance calculator. That's coming up on the Employment Hour Talk Radio, AM 640. To reach Lior outside of show hours anytime, 416-216-5900. That's his personal number on his hip. And Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com is the email, which is where I'm going to go uh, today. We've got to get through a bunch of these because we uh, they stack up over the weeks. Uh, Miriam in Mississauga says, after I was let go, I signed my termination paperwork without, hello, without speaking to a lawyer because, I, as you said a moment ago, I was very emotional and under a lot of stress. Uh, I think my severance offer was not good. Is there anything I can do about it? Has been signed. And, you know, this is always one of the most heartbreaking calls that I get mm-hmm. or emails that I get. And people that, you know, God, I, I just understood now. I heard your show. I heard you speak that my offer was not good, but I signed it. I didn't know. And, and you know, you, I lost my job. It's a very emotional Big time. time. I'm, I'm scared to death. What am I going to do? Uh, what, you know, can I do something about it? The unfortunate answer, John, and in most cases, the answer is no, you cannot. Uh, to, to get out of a, a, a signed document like that, a signed release, signed severance offer, you do have to show that the employer uh, empl- uh, used duress. Duress would have to be something like threats. They threaten, you know, if you don't sign this, we're never going to pay you. If you don't sign this, we're going to start bad-mouthing you. They, they made some sort of illegal threat. That's going to, number one, I think that happens very rarely. And number yeah. two, it would be very, very difficult to prove. So the, the duress that she felt, and for, for, for obvious reasons, is not going to be enough to get her out of this document. Now, all that said, depending on how the document was drafted, depending on what it said, there still may be a possibility to get around it. Uh, so I, I always recommend, if you're not sure if what you've been offered and what you've accepted is, is fine, I'm still happy to take a look at it. And I'll be able to tell you in about 30 seconds, 
as to whether or not you're for sure stuck with it, you can't do anything, or if there's still a way around it. Actually, I, I dealt with a, a, a caller uh, that we got on the show a few months ago, and they called me afterwards at the office. She did sign a release, and we were able to get around that one and actually get her a significant amount of compensation. So these things are rare but possible. I'll give you one more email. Again, leorandemploymenthour.com. This one's interesting. This is something we've talked about as well. Uh, Yoni in Toronto says, My employer gave me notice that my employment will end at the end of this year. A week ago, I was told that the new work will be coming in and that my employment will not be ended after all. Can they do this? And you know, the short answer is yes. Because it sounds can. like good news, right? Yeah, it sounds no. like good news. But you may say, well, I've already uh, uh, decided I don't want to work. I've accepted a job somewhere right. else. Uh, so w- what does that mean? The employer can do that in, in 99.9% of the cases. Really, the only exception to that is if in the meantime, between now and when, uh, between, uh, when you got the notice and now, something happened to the relationship. The relationship has deteriorated so much for whatever reason that you can't continue working. Uh, otherwise, if the relationship is intact and the employer withdraws the notice and says you're going to continue working, the, that employee is not terminated, which means they're not going to get severance. Uh, so for the most part, if the employer does withdraw the notice, uh, there's no termination. Lior's number is 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. I want to get into the severance pay calculator. I want to just tell you a real story that happened to me yesterday. Then you can you can break down how this thing works. So this is this is for real. No BS here. This happened to me for real. I was at the gym yesterday talking to one of the guys working behind the table. We, we just got on to working and how long he's been there and blah, blah, blah. And I just asked him, I said, how much severance do you think you'd get if, if you ever got let go here? And he goes, oh, I don't know. He goes, he goes, I don't even know. I said, well, give me a sec. So I grabbed my phone. I picked up some. I said, how long have you been working here? He goes, so eight years. Like, how long? Goes, 60 grand a year. Okay, what's your position? Blah, blah, blah. He goes, I go, what do you think you're going to get? And he goes, I don't know, maybe seven, eight weeks. I turn around, I go, he goes, 10 months. And like his jaw dropped. He, he thought He thought I was like, Wow. Nuts. Thought it was nuts. He couldn't yeah. believe it, right? And, and, and he goes, how's that based, right? So go for it. Show, break it down. Yeah, no, interesting story. And then, you know, you tell the story, but I have people contacting me through the severance calculator I'm going to talk about right now with exactly this situation. Mm-hmm. They had no idea. And they oftentimes contact me saying, well, is this thing working properly, Lior? Because it's telling me I'm getting all this severance. <laughs> exactly. But it's so different than what my employers offered me yeah. that maybe there's a bug in the, in the system. Maybe it's right. just not working uh, well. So... Uh, let's break it down. First of all, your severance is not based on a formula of a week per year of service. It's based on three factors uh, of uh, the length of employment, age, and position. The longer you work, older you are, the more senior a position you have, the greater the entitlements. So that's what the severance calculator does. It, it, It allows you to input this information, how long you work, the type of job that you have in your age, and then on that basis, it's going to tell you how much severance you're owed. So you go to severancepaycalculator.com online. You can do it. It takes you about 10 seconds, as, as you know. Or you can download the app so you can have it always with you on uh, iPhone, iPad, uh, and Android. And, uh, and you find out exactly. Now, uh, what that does is it gives you the power that you can now assess how much you've been offered and whether that's appropriate. Or it gives you the power to know what would happen down the road if your employment comes to an end. And I assure you. Uh, that in most cases, you're going to be very, very surprised by how much severance you're actually owed. And it's not because there's a bug in the system. The system works perfectly well. It's because most people don't have a clue as to how much severance they're really owed. Tons of misinformation out there, right? A ton of misinformation. It's all ministry of labor. The government of Ontario gives you misinformation because they don't tell you that the information on the government website is not your full entitlements. It's only a small fraction of your entitlements. It's your minimum entitlements. 
So severancepaycalculator.com, you can use it. Anyone can use it. It's free. And that once you get your result at the end of the, of the process, it takes a few seconds. If you want to send me that information because you want me to talk to me about your specific situation, you press that little green button. It sends me an email if you want, and I'd be happy to talk to you in person and say, okay, in your situation, this is what you were offered. This is how much you should have been offered. And here's what you can do about it. It's a great tool. And you can flip it around to work for employers as well, right? Employers use it all the time. Employers are more likely to contact me saying, I'm pretty sure the bug is wrong because it tells me I owe this employee six months pay and I'm pretty sure I don't owe them that much. Yeah. Sorry, but, Chuck. But it's correct and yeah. employers use it as well. So if you don't know how much you have to pay a departing employee, a starting point is the severance pay calculator. I sat there sipping a protein shake and I went through it in like 30 seconds. It's brilliant. It's you got to try it. Yeah. The number is 416-216-5900. That is Lior's personal number. We'll wrap it for another week. And emails, Lior, L-I-O-R, and employmenthour.com. We'll catch you next weekend right here on the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640.